Well, if you do have your Bibles, please just go ahead and continue to have them open. And in just a moment, I'm actually going to be sharing with you a video. So let me just kind of share with you kind of the plan for this coming uh, and this brand new teaching series. It's called The Soundtrack of the Season, the stories behind the songs that you sing every year. And so as we're going to be looking at these different songs, there are parts of each song which we will focus on and emphasize that touch the Christmas story. And what I've decided is is that I'm going to go a little longer in the video and a little shorter in the message that I'm preaching directly. So you'll hear that the video is a little longer as it gives some of the background of some of the songs that you're familiar with. I can't wait in the next couple of weeks as we talk about songs like Oh Holy Night, which has an incredible backstory uh, in its history. I can't wait to tell you about the things that were surrounding the writing of the most famous Christmas carol and the one that is considered to be uh, the famous favorite of most people, that is Silent Night. And as we go on and on down the list, you'll be learning some things about some songs that you sing every single year, but you will also get a grasp of how they touch the things that Jesus has come to bring. And basically the word of God will be illuminated in a way, because as many of you may or may not know, Back in the day, there were so many people that did not understand how to read. The education system was not as uh, advanced as it is today. And then even in that time, things like writing uh, apparatus and, and pen and paper was very expensive and hard to come by and hard to preserve. And so because of all of these things, many things were done by oral tradition, things that they were passed down in stories and in songs. And so many things that people learned about the theology of God's word came from the hymns and the Christmas carols that we sing. And so we're going to honor those things. We're going to share with you some of the backstories. And today we're going to start off with a song that you may not know uh, uh, very well, but maybe you know very well. I don't know. This is one of those that seems to be maybe a favorite and then maybe not necessarily in your normal rotation. So get ready. Today's first Christmas carol is It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. Let's check out the first video of the soundtrack of the season. That there is a soundtrack to the Christmas season. Most of us spend all of our lives listening to the same songs from the day after Thanksgiving until about December 26th every single year. Our new favorite artists simply revisit the same songs over and over, and we don't even get tired of them. But rarely do we think about where these songs came from, their backstories, or about the deeper meaning behind them. Many of these songs of the season point to powerful theological insights and practical lessons that can deepen us or even bring us joy in the midst of the Christmas season. So let's look a little deeper into some of the famous Christmas carols that you know and love. It Came Upon a Midnight Clear by Dr. Edmund Sears. In 1849, a 39-year-old Unitarian minister from Massachusetts named Dr. Edmund Sears was struggling to cope with the world he saw around him. As he surveyed the society he was called to minister to in the town of Wayland, Massachusetts near Boston, he saw injustices everywhere. The poor and the marginalized were being mistreated and exploited. This depressing and disheartening state of the human race's treatment of one another 
had permeated the minister's mindset and his mood. But the hope that the Christmas season brought gave him new eyes and a new dose of motivation as he had an idea. He felt led to take up his pen and write an original poem to share during his upcoming Christmas sermon. His hope was to challenge those who heard him to love all the world the way that Christ had. And as he read Luke chapter 2, he took inspiration from its words and began to write the words to the poem that he planned to share. And what he wrote in that moment are the words we now know as the lyrics of the famous and beloved Christmas carol, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. Here are the words of that poem in the way that Dr. Sears wrote it. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all-gracious King. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled, and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains, they bend on hovering wing, and o'er its babble sounds, the blessed angels sing. Yet with the woes of sin and strife the world has suffered long, beneath the angels' strain have rolled two thousand years of wrong. And man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing, O rest beside the weary road, and hear the angels sing. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophet seen of old, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold, when Christ shall come and all shall own the Prince of Peace their King, and saints shall meet Him in the air, and with the angels sing. As Dr. Sears wrote his poem, he had the purpose of inspiring and challenging the people who would hear the words to move on behalf of the poor and disenfranchised around them. He penned those beautiful words that we know so well in verse 1, but then shifted his thoughts from that beautiful scene of Christ's birth to a different kind of beauty, the beauty of one member of the human race sacrificially serving another member of the human race. But for this Christmas poem to become well-known and deeply loved and accomplish all that Dr. Sears had hoped, it needed a melody and it needed a larger audience. The audience grew as Dr. Sears published that poem in a publication that he regularly contributed to as an author. This allowed the poem to be circulated all around New England at the time. And later it was seen and then paired with a melody by a man named Richard Storrs Willis, who for a part of his life was working as a musician at Harvard University. Years later, the combination of the poem and the melody was published 
and it eventually found its way into many of the congregational hymn books that were printed and then distributed in churches in the 1900s. The audience further grew in the years of World War I when GIs from the United States sang the Christmas carol as they spent their winter on the battlefield in France. And then 25 years later, the song was again taken across the ocean as a brand new crop of GIs sang it during the Christmas times in World War II as well. Bing Crosby, Dinah Shore, and other entertainers sang it for GIs as they entertained in foreign lands during USO holiday shows for the members of the troops. This song no doubt resonated deeply with those who were fighting yet another war against tyranny and no doubt expressed their own heart's longing for a peace on earth and goodwill toward all men. Today, as we reflect upon what Dr. Sears was really trying to accomplish by writing this Christmas carol. Let us reflect as well on these lesser known verses and let us realize that 175 years later, the thing which was being sought by this famous writer has still yet to be accomplished. The thing that God declared that he desired the peace on earth, goodwill toward all men has still yet to be accomplished in our world. And so let us individually take upon ourselves the opportunities that we have to love others and to display that peace on earth, goodwill toward men that God came to provide. All right. Well, how many of you in here learned a little something about the song that you did not know? At least a little bit. It's only going to get better from here. I'm telling you, there's even more and even more exciting. Oh, man, I've never looked so good. Oh, getting worse each and every moment. Okay. Yes. Uh, but it is so exciting, and I'm, I'm anxious for you guys to know some of the stories. And I love the story that I'm going to be sharing at the end of today's uh, Bible study and uh, the sermon and the teaching that we're going to be sharing. All right. Well, before we go any further, I just want to honor as... Eric has already mentioned, but I just want to say thank you very quickly to Frank and Roseanne and especially to Scott and Alicia Young. Can we give them a hand this morning? Doesn't it look awesome in here? Thank you guys so much. Um, I came in a little early this morning, and as I came in, I looked around and I was like, my goodness, if I was not in the Christmas spirit before, I am 100% in the Christmas spirit now. I thank you guys. Y'all have updated the Christmas tree uh, over the years that we've had uh, ornaments just kind of falling and shattering and stuff. We just never have really replaced them, and it went from being a very full tree to being a little more bare each and every year because I'm not the one who usually decorates it. It's usually Scott and Alicia. Finally, Alicia came to me, and she was like, can we please just get some? No, it wasn't like that, but that's how I felt. I was like, man, I should have done this already, so... I thank them so much. It looks fantastic. looks phenomenal. And uh, great thing up here as well. I mean, everything just looks great. We appreciate you. And Frank and Roseanne uh, and, and their family members have been working and toiling and collecting all year for the uh, things that are in the silent auction. We appreciate you guys. We appreciate you guys as well, Scott and Alicia, for your help as well. And uh, look forward to it. Let's hear it for them as well. Good job. 
We appreciate it. And uh, beautiful poinsettias as well this morning. Thank you so much, Miss Kay. Uh, Brad told me he grew them himself. All right, so as we continue to talk about the new things that are going on in this new teaching series, the soundtrack of the season, you guys know there's some very, very familiar things about Christmas season. How many of you guys have one of these somewhere in your house, a nativity scene? Now, these can be $2 or $200 these days. I mean, it is, it is really something that I love. My wife has got a beautiful one that is my favorite that I've ever seen. I don't think she spent 200 but she didn't spend 2 somewhere between those uh, uh, numbers. But we see the same familiar things in each and every nativity scene. We see the, the wise men. We see Mary. We see Joseph. We see the baby Jesus. We see the star. We often see an angel. And then over here on the right-hand side in this particular nativity scene, we see the humble men that we just read about from what Paul read in Luke chapter 2. The, the shepherds that were invited and the announcement that came from the angels that Christ was being born in Bethlehem and that they should go and see. And all they had to do was look for a baby that was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's how they would know that they'd found the Christ child. But not just do they, we have familiar scenes, but we have familiar sounds. And the truth is, is that you guys, as well as I, have a Christmas playlist. We have a, a Christmas record or CD or some kind of rotation. Uh, for those of you who are young, you got a Christmas Spotify playlist that kind of plays and goes through all the different songs that you love. And have you ever really stopped to think about, you, you, you go for 11 months of the year and then for that one month of the year, you listen to mainly the same songs each and every year without really knowing the story. That's what we're going to be doing as we go through the soundtrack of the season over the next few weeks. But let's talk today about why God sent the angels to the shepherds. And I want to just talk about this in just a few moments. So let's begin with why did God send the angels to the shepherds? It's first of all that show that God loves common, ordinary people and not just simply those who are considered the righteous. You guys see where I've got the, the, the air quotes there, the quotes going on. It shows that God loves common, ordinary people and not just simply the righteous people. Now, I want to slow down for just a moment. And as we talk about those that we see in this manger scene each and every year, if you just stop at the wise men it all makes sense. That's what our world loves. We love those people who look good and smell good and sound good and all of these different things that the wise men brought when they came to visit Christ. But that is very important for us to grasp that those folks, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, those wise men that came were not the ones that actually showed up on the very first night. The very first night that Jesus was born is when the angel declared and the, the shepherds themselves came by an angelic order and an angelic invitation. And so we would never choose this. If we were trying to announce the, the birth of a king and an important figure, we'd do the wise men for sure, but we would probably leave out the shepherds because they're not exactly the kind of people that attract the right kind of people. If you guys understand, can y'all give me an amen? Y'all hear what I'm saying? So this is so important to grasp 
that God did not send his son for the right kind of people. He sent him for all people. And man, I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for that because I have never really been a person who fits well in the crowd of the right people. But I know that there are tons of times in my history where I have been the wrong kind of person that needed a savior and needed somebody to come seeking after me because I was not the kind that brought honor, but instead brought dishonor. And yet at that same time, he was seeking for me. He was seeking for you, not because you had the righteousness and the reputation that other people would be impressed with, but because he knew that you needed a savior and that I needed a savior. And so for that reason alone, he came searching for me and searching for you. No matter who you are or what your background is, he came searching for you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And that is why God sent for the shepherds. And there's a couple of other reasons. But this brings us to our big idea, and I want to talk a little bit about it first. Christ was sent to show God's love to all people, and so are we. Christ was sent to show God's love to all people, and so are we. Now, I don't know what it is about the Christmas season that makes us just be reminded of the love that can change the world, but I know some of you have already probably begun to partake in this love that changes the world, and it probably looks a lot like something like this right here. Uh, let's go to our next slide here. Uh, Hallmark Channel. Let's be honest. Let's go ahead and get it out there. Let's just do a little true confession, being good for the soul. How many of you guys have seen at least one of these? And look, <laughs> I've got people in there that are like, I've literally seen that movie right there. I've seen it. Okay, so I don't want to ruin the rest of the Christmas season for you, but here's what's going to happen. They're going to get together in the end. And also, the bed and breakfast inn that they're meeting at, they're going to keep it. No matter what the bank says, that's going to happen. I just want you to know, and you're welcome. I just gave you back 12 hours of your life during a very busy time of year. Uh, if you've seen one holiday movie on Hallmark Channel, why not see five more of the same plot? Actually, this is my face. Whenever I see my wife watching a Hallmark movie, this is an exact picture. I'm like, what? And she goes, you're not invited. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's fine. And then I go around the corner and go, yes, thank God I'm not invited. All right. So anyway, let's go back to that something to learn. This is very, very important and very, very powerful and something that you do not know, um, something that you kind of have to dig a little deeper. And I want to share it with you. And I try to share it almost every single uh, Christmas season, or at least once or twice a year. But there were two types of Greek that were written in the Roman world that Christ was born into. There was classical Greek, and there, that word that looks kind of strange is pronounced koine Greek. Okay? So classical was for those who had a higher education level, while koine Greek was the common language of commerce and spoken by many, many people in the Roman world. So what was incredible at this time was is that if you were in Rome or if you were in Greece or if you were in Palestine, uh, in Israel, in Syria, and on and on and on in this Roman world, you could find your way around because of one thing, and that was a common language that everyone spoke. Because this is not the way that we wish it were, but this is the way that it is. If you want to make money, you better learn how to communicate with your customers, right? And so if you begin to think about this, in our modern context, did you know that most of the time, 
if you want to go somewhere, there will be somebody who actually speaks English. Have you guys recognized that? Have y'all seen that? I've been places in the world where um, that was not the language that was supposed to be spoken, and yet there was always somebody who could help me. That is the, the place that English holds in our modern world. And in the same way, Koine Greek was holding that position in the ancient world. But this is what is so incredibly important that we grasp. All of the New Testament was not written in classical Greek, but it was written in Koine Greek. Do you know what God is saying with that? As he transmits his word through his people and his prophets, he is saying this isn't for the people who are at the upper end of the education scale. This isn't for the priests and the, the, the professional clergy. This is for everybody. And if they will read it, I will give my word so that they can know me and know who I am. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever your background is, whatever your backstory is, I want you to know that God came seeking for somebody just like you and just like me. Everything that he could do to remove the barriers that would keep you from him and him from you were all being pushed aside constantly so that you and he might be reunited in the way that he always intended. And so for you and I, it should speak volumes when we look about the, the, the things that were written and the way that they were written to the common, ordinary, everyday man and woman who wanted to know more about God and didn't want to have to rely on the people who were the wisest, the smartest, and the most educated. And usually that came with financial privilege as well. And so it is a powerful thing that we understand where God was coming from. So very quickly... Let's go back to our big idea once again, and we're going to say it aloud together in just a moment, but the big idea was Christ was sent to show God's love to all people, and so are we. Would you guys say it aloud with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Christ was sent to show God's love to all people, and so are we. This is so important that we grasp and understand. And in this story behind, it came upon a midnight clear, the man who wrote these words, he was quick to point out that there was always going to be an enmity, a, 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 an argument, a frustration, a discord between one type of man and another type of man, whatever that looked like. And we've been spending all of our lives understanding and sometimes overcoming that we found the littlest and smallest things to keep us apart from someone else, to make ourselves feel better by pushing other people down. And in the midst of it all, God comes and says, no, 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 it's not about that. It is about peace on earth and goodwill toward, what's the next word? All men, all mankind. Let's talk about this very quickly. Let's talk about how this big idea plays out and what we need to be doing as we live out this big idea. Not just those who agree with me are the people that I get to love. I have to love all men and all mankind. Not just those who act like me or believe like me. In our world today, we have somehow divided ourselves once again among lines of those who act or believe like me, who agree with me, not just those that I encounter at convenient times or when I'm in a good mindset. Y'all, okay, 
Y'all know somebody, but it's not you. I get it. It's not me either. It never is. You know, it's really hard for certain people to love folks when they're busy or love people when they're behind the wheel of a car. Can I get an amen on that? If you drive in Houston, you know what I'm saying? We talk about these things sometimes as jokes, and we, we understand. We're lighthearted, but the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes I encounter people at the wrong time, and they would never, ever, ever suspect that I am a Christian who loves them because of not just the things that I've done, the way that I've encountered them, the way that I've approached them, the way that I've dealt with them, the way that I've treated them. It's crazy when we think about it, and it ought to jolt us a little bit if ever there is a time where I am not loving those that Christ loved in the way that I ought to be. But sometimes it's my mindset, it's an inconvenient time, it's the wrong moment, and I give myself a break and I excuse myself when the truth is is that God loves, and as he wrote in his word, a friend loves at all times. And not just those who I think deserve it are the ones that I'm supposed to be loving, I'm supposed to be loving everyone that God has come to die for, which, by the way, once again, is everyone. Luke chapter 2. I want to read a longer passage of Scripture. This is uh, the same passage that uh, Paul was reading a little earlier, beginning in chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. Let's read it. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause, can you guys read the line that's underlined with me? Great joy for all the people. Not just the righteous, not just the educated, not just those that had it all together in their life. And let's keep moving here. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared to the angel, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So let's talk a little bit more about why God sent the angels to the shepherds. First, to show that God loves the common, ordinary people, not just those who are righteous. But he also came to show that through Jesus, God would speak to common, ordinary people. You see, back in those days and in that time, if you were a person who had all kinds of um, uh, political clout or all kinds of religious credentials, people could see that God would talk to you and then you would get to tell them what God had said and what God was like. And there was even a, a high priest who you know, kind of went and represented all of the people of Israel at that time, asking for a forgiveness and a sacrifice, a one-year stay of the sins that they had committed. And in the midst of it all, they would speak for the, the, the nation and speak for God to the nation. There was this intermediary. There was a, a bottleneck, if you will, from God to man. But when God sent his angels to declare to those shepherds he obliterated the bottleneck. He took it all away and said, if you are interested, there's a Savior being born just around the corner. It's Christ the Lord. All you've got to do is look for a baby in a manger in swaddling clothes, and you will know that it is him. And they did something powerful. 
They heard God's voice and they acted upon it. Now, I'm trying to go a little shorter, but there's a lot to be said about people who hear God's voice and then determine that they will act upon it later. I know that's none of y'all. I know that's never me, but can I get an amen? You know people who have done this. Oh, I'm going to do that, but I will do it later. I will do it when I have a little more time. I will do it when I have some things straightened out in my life. I will do that when I'm the right kind of person. I will do that when I know enough. What is absolutely powerful and beautiful about the shepherds is, in light of God's glory and his grace, everything else faded away. And they didn't say, we're going to be the people that don't fit in. (laughs) They said instead, God has spoken to me for some reason. He has considered me worthy, so I will act upon it. For some reason, God has considered us his children and worthy, and we should act upon it. Now, let me ask you guys a question. This is an easy one, pop quiz time. Super easy though, not hard to figure out. If you are hurting and you need someone in your life to help you through what you're dealing with, does it matter if they're wearing the wrong name brand on their clothes? (laughs) Does it matter... If they're the, the wrong kind of person, no, you just need someone with skin on to be a representation of the Lord in some way that he is reminding you that he cares and he has not forgotten about you. Have any of you ever felt like God has forgotten about you? Have any of you ever felt like God had forgotten your address? And then somehow, some way, someone came. And even if they weren't the person that you were expecting, it was almost as if God said, I want you to know that this is my reminder that I haven't forgotten about you, that I still love you, and whoever you are and wherever you've been, does not matter to me. The only thing that matters to me about you is you. If you've ever been there, if you've ever had that happen for you, can I tell you something? The only thing that rivals and maybe even eclipses that kind of feeling is letting God make you the one who brings the blessing and the acceptance. There's just something so incredibly humbling about being the one that God chose to use. And can you imagine these shepherds going, who are we? (laughs) Why in the world were we there? Like everybody, you know, out of everybody that they could have chosen, they chose us. What's that all about? I have no idea. Me either. I just don't know. But then when God was through showing them his son, Do you know what he did? He turned around and made them heralds of his son. He took them from the position that they were 
kind of out there in the, in the fields and not exactly the, the ones that you would recognize as being great or good or any of those things. And he turned them into something totally different. He turned them into people who were starting to talk about God and his love and his acceptance. And you know the crazy thing is, is that people who were ordinary listened to people who were ordinary and they realized that God had done something in their life still happens the same exact way. Ordinary people sharing an extraordinary God with other ordinary people. But the problem for most of us is that we are not sharing God's love. We are accepting it and keeping it and appreciating it and even sometimes thanking God for it, but we are not turning around and being that conduit where it flows through. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the Dead Sea in ancient Palestine and in the ancient Israeli world is a, is a river. It has a river at the top and it flows down into this sea. And this sea is a basin. And as the river flows, there is no other tributary that allows it to go out. And so because of that, the salinity, the, the, the salt level of that sea has become so great over the years that there is a buildup and everything in the Dead Sea, take a wild guess, it dies. Why? Because it is always on the receiving end and never on the outflow part. And so as we enter a season where many people believe it is all about getting, this ought to be your opportunity to talk about, share with, and show other people that it is not just simply about getting and receiving, but as Jesus himself said, it is more blessed, it is more happy to give than to receive. Now, I used to not think that was true when I was about 12 or 13 years old. But now, I have what I'd like to call maturity. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's what I'd like to call it. And as I have matured, and as I have lived a little longer, I have realized and grasped, it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. And we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks, but I want to tell you, Best thing, one of the best things I do all year long is to go down there to the orphanage and be a blessing. And I tell people all the time, it's, it's not fair. I go down there and I take your gifts and I get your hugs. <laughs> I mean, they come up and they thank me and I tell them every single time that I can, there are people in our church who love you because God loves you. And there is nothing more blessed in my interactions in the, in the year than realizing that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I don't want you to miss this real quickly. Let's go to this next slide, and I'm, and I'm drawing to a close here pretty quick. Don't miss this. The shepherds were in the Christmas story by a divine invitation. The wise men, the, the, the people that were the ones that were the, the right kind of people, they found the star in the heavens and they acted upon it, but the angel came to one of those two and it was the ones that didn't fit. God sent his divine invitation to those and asked them to come and be there. He was, I have no doubt, excited and pleased and very much appreciating those who came from afar. And by the way, in our next slide, you'll see, I think, 
you can be a part of understanding the wise men. We're going to talk and go deep on the wise men, uh, the who, what, when, where, and why of the wise men. I think you will learn a lot. It's literally just a two-week Zoom Bible study. This is a commercial break, yes, but please stay with me. There's your Zoom code. You can be on and be involved, and we'll get you into the Zoom room. We'll teach you some things that you didn't know, and you'll appreciate the wise men and the Christmas story a little bit more than ever before. But don't forget, and don't get it twisted, the truth is, is that those guys were there, the, the wise guys were there. The, <clears throat> is this thing on? Y'all, are y'all just the, the wise guy? All right, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> the wise men were there not by divine invitation, but because they saw the star and acted and reacted upon it. But the shepherds were invited. Don't miss it. God had a plan for the ordinary. And then we go a little further, and I've already spoken about it. Let's go on to this next slide. Let's go to our next slide, please. To show that God would speak through common, ordinary people. He turned them into the heralds that he needed there. Luke chapter 2, verse 16 through 20 says a few words that I want to share, and then we're going to wrap it up. So they, this is two uh, verses 16 through 20, and it's condensed, so just know that I took out one verse in the midst there. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. So the big idea for us is, once again, that God's love is for all people, and we are called to be conduits of that love to all people as well. Here are a couple of big questions to work through and to talk about. Who is it in your life that you need to show love to? Who is it in your life that you need to show love to? Maybe somebody comes to your mind. Maybe your mind's eye sees a face even right now. Who is it in your life that you need to show love to? And then another big question is, what is your biggest obstacle to showing the love of God? And I want to submit something to you. That ultimately, whatever obstacle it is, whether it's busyness or pride or laziness, or not being willing to be seen in any uncomfortable situation, or on and on and on, whatever obstacle it is that you have allowed to prevent you from being that conduit of blessing and love, I'm telling you that God sought you and used others even in pursuing you. Don't receive and not turn around and give. John himself says later on in his first letter, he says, we love because he has what? First loved us. If we want to praise God for the love that changes the world, we had best be about the business of sharing that love with other people. So very quickly, here's how you apply this message. Who is it that you need to show love to but you have not? And how can you show love to them this week? Maybe it's a text, maybe it's a call, 
Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's an apology. It could be something else as well. I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit. I'm just simply trying to give you an idea of where these things might begin. But I shared two lines there. One is the who and one is for the how. (laughs) The who and the how that you can show love to. So very quickly, as we bring this to a close, and then we're going to sing that song that we just talked about a few moments ago, I want to talk about something called the Christmas Truce of 1914. Have any of you guys here ever heard of the Christmas Truce of 1914? A few of you guys have, but this is an actual picture and an image from the Christmas Truce of 1914. If you'd like to look it up on Wikipedia later, later, I want you to do that because it's incredible. And I share a couple of things from this. And yes, I've got to put on my old man eyes for just a moment here. But Bruce Bairn's uh, father fought throughout the war. And this is what he wrote about what happened. If you don't know the story, during World War I, there was the German line and then there was the Allied forces line coming up against them. And in the midst of it all, in 1914, on Christmas Eve... They realized that they were going to be out on the battlefield fighting the war even through Christmas Day. And there was something that happened that you could not even script. And if you saw it in a movie, you'd say it was a lie. But one side started yelling to the other, Merry Christmas. And then the other side started yelling to the other, Merry Christmas. And then one side would begin to sing a song. Remember the songs that we were talking about? sing a Christmas carol in their home language. And then the others would sing a Christmas carol in their home language. And without a document being signed, without a general being consulted, there was a 24-hour period where there was not a shot fired and nothing happened on the Western Front uh, of of the war, what they call the war to end all wars. It all came ceasing and stopped with an unspoken truce centered around, of all things, Christmas. So here's what was said, and you can even kind of go back and look at this later if you'd like. Bruce Barron's father, uh, not a, an American name, so I'm sorry if I screw that up. I wouldn't have missed that unique and weird Christmas day for anything I spotted a German officer, some sort of lieutenant, I think, and being a bit of a collector, I intimated to him that I had taken a fancy to some of his buttons on his jacket. I brought out my wire clippers, and with a few deft snips, I remove a couple of his buttons and put them in my pocket, and then I gave him two of mine in exchange. The last I saw was one of my machine gunners, who was a bit of an amateur hairdresser in civil life cutting the unnaturally long hair of a man from Germany who is patiently kneeling on the ground while the automatic clippers crept up the back of his neck. That's insane, right? I mean, I'm telling you, you would never believe it in real life uh, or in a movie, but it happened in real life. Henry Williamson, a 19-year-old private in the London Rifle Brigade, wrote to his mother, Dear Mother, I'm riding from the trenches It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Beside me is a coke fire. Opposite me is a dugout wet with straw in it. The ground is sloppy. The actual trench is frozen elsewhere. But in my mouth is a pipe presented by the Princess Mary. In the pipe is tobacco. And of course you say, but wait, 
in the pipe is German tobacco. Ha ha, you say, from a prisoner found in a captured trench, but oh no, from a German soldier, yes, a live German soldier from his own trench. Yesterday, the British and Germans met, shook hands on the ground between the trenches, exchanged souvenirs, shook hands. Yes, all day, Christmas Day, and as I write. Marvelous, isn't it? And then on down, I remember the silence, the eerie sound of silence. Only the guards were on duty and all went outside from farm buildings and just stood listening. And of course, thinking of people back home, all I'd heard for two months in the trenches was hissing, cracking, and whining of bullets in flight, machine gun fire, and distant German voices. But there was a dead silence that morning right across the land as far as you could see. We shouted, Merry Christmas, even though no one felt merry. And the silence ended early in the afternoon, and the killing started again. It was a short peace in a terrible war. I couldn't help but read this last conversation, this last letter, and be reminded of how different Christmas feels in our modern world. It's like just for a month things change, and then they kind of go back to normal. And I'm saddened by that, and yet inspired by that at the same time, if you guys understand what I'm saying. It's as if I can catch a glimpse of what God would like for us to live like each and every day if we would simply allow ourselves to be that conduit on a regular basis. I can't say that your whole world would change, but I can say this. God provides opportunities for all of us all the time to be a person who shows the love of God and especially during the Christmas season, I can think of no better time than to be a light in a dark world where you bring about peace on earth and goodwill toward all men. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us, that you would be with us, that you would challenge us, Lord, to get out of our comfort zone to step out from the busyness of our schedules and instead of worrying about self first, that you would help us instead to seek your will for our lives first, foremost, and above all things. And in the midst of it all, God, may you use us as some sort of channel, some sort of conduit that can give a dark world a ray of light that you can give to those who are unloved a taste and appreciation for the love that God himself has for them. Open our hearts, Lord, so that we might receive your love and that we might be faithful to you to give it. In Jesus' name we pray.